melting all over the yes, place. Yes, drinks are melting, so we have to make our banter quick. <laughs> um, quick banter, pressure, <laughs> all the pressure. Um, I had a really funny story to tell, and now I cannot remember it. Well, it's because we're not inspired by the studio anymore because it's bare bones. It's bare bones. And we're moving. We're moving. All of us. All of us. Katie moved, <laughs> and then I got inspired and bought a house like yes. two weeks later. So now we're in boxes. All of our beautiful artwork is gone. It is. But it will be re-put up in a new podcast studio shortly. Yes. And it's going to be so beautiful and exciting. And yeah, we just... We're, we're, I'm, I'm stoked. Just a beautiful new venue for us to take beautiful photographs of our cocktails. And oh, my gosh. Wait. And decorate and oh. take pictures of ourselves. We'll have yes. to take more selfies. I yeah. feel like we don't do enough of that. That's true. I can't even remember the last time we posted a photo of the two of us. Um, no, I posted one of each of us at Marjorie's 30th birthday party oh, more right. recently yes. in the middle. But that's the last time I've posted pictures of us ourselves. Yeah. So if you want to see us, let us know. Uh, we'll post more photos. Because <laughs> we are famous women from history. Exactly. <laughs> so we did get some constructive criticism yes. this week on Facebook, which is so, so wonderful um, that we use the white privilege card a lot. Yeah. And that it can tend to trivialize it accidentally. Yeah. Like it's not that we necessarily mean to do that, but it can definitely seem like that. So we're so appreciative mm -hmm. of that, that it might sound like we're virtue signaling and don't think that we think we're above it. Yeah. We're, we're totally prone to privilege. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And like, we like to talk about it openly because you know, it like, we feel like we need to bring it up because we're telling these stories and I don't know. I feel like we do maybe bring it up too much, but then I'm not sure what's too little. And <laughs> it is. So and we're, we're also wasted. Yeah, that's true, too. So we're but working it, through it and we're learning. We're um, trying. And it's, sometimes it's hard to relate to stories of people who aren't like you. So I guess yeah. we try in a certain way, but we totally hear that. And that's yeah. such great, great things to hear when people say, hey, this is what I think about your show. And this is kind of what I think's wrong with it. Yeah. Which is totally fine. Yeah, exactly. So are you ready to get to this show that is problematic? I am ready. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> um, so this is a podcast called Herstory. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. And we're going to talk to you tonight about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. Absolutely. Um, but the way it's going to work is I'm going to tell Allie a story and make her a cocktail. She's going to tell me a story and make me a cocktail. So by the end of it, we are drunk because we have been drinking the entire time. And we also, besides the cocktails, have beer beforehand, yep. have beer during. Sometimes we have wine, oh, sometimes champagne. It's, it's like a crazy. party every Thursday. I know. And then I have to do so many dishes. I know. <laughs> All of my cocktail glasses are used in one evening. I feel so bad. I just like leave and I'm like, all right, good luck with the mess. Goodbye. I love it. Um, but it's fun. Uh, so, <laughs> so just so you know, we're going to be drinking and we also got all of our information where everybody else does, which is the internet. Um, we do all this research in a week, so sometimes we don't have time to read whole books. Sometimes we really try and cram it in. But if there's anything that we miss, anything that needs to be corrected, as we said earlier, we love it when you send us those because, again, we are professional drinkers but amateur historians. Right. <laughs> And we can listen to sometimes even halves of books like yes. on Audible or we'll like run through something. But we do our best to sum it up in a little box. So the next time that you are at a cocktail party, mm. once we get 
a vaccine, you'll be able Please. to say all these fun, <laughs> fun facts. Exactly. But until then, stay in your house and say these fun facts on the Internet. Yeah. So maybe you're in your house being safe and your Internet has gone out. You've already downloaded this episode. But you can't look up what these women look like. You can't. So what we're going to do right now is describe what they look like so you can get a picture in your head. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing tonight and what does she look like? I am doing Hypatia of Alexandria. And she was described as excessively beautiful, but there are no existing depictions of her. Okay. We don't have any idea what she looked like. A quote about her said, she was exceedingly beautiful and fair of form in speech, articulate and logical and her actions prudent, public spirited and the city accorded her with special respect. Mm. So she's just like kind of not only a beautiful person, but like having a radiant personality. Uh Uh-huh. Her father was Grecian, as many people in Egypt were at that time, but uh, we don't know anything about her mother at all. Her mother could have been native to Egypt. She could have been Jewish or Arabic or Grecian herself. She could have been from a southern African country um, that just moved northward. So basically, we have no clue, but most certainly, regardless of her lineage, she was what today we would have considered black. In 1908, a fictional portrait was made of her by Jules Gaspard and it's by far the most iconic and like wildly respected image of her but it definitely just looks like a white woman with dirty blonde or light brown hair that's Mm -hmm. tied back it is on the Hypatia liquor bottle which I couldn't get before this episode because it's produced in California so if hashtag history wants to get it for us they can do that (laughs) and the true the true thing from this image even though that was fake is that she is wearing a simple scholar's robe which is called a triban which was the loose fitting like white off-white robe that you wore with the one sash that went around opposing like Jesus's is blue Uh you know um she was played by many actresses on stage uh and there's a lot of paintings of her especially Mm -hmm. in the Victorian era but most recently in 2009 Rachel Weisz played her in the movie Agora which Rachel Weisz is the same girl that was in the mummy with Brendan Fraser Mm, white girl brown hair kind of Britishy yeah. I, Very okay. pretty. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. And then um, Lisa. She was in Definitely Maybe. Yes, she was. Absolutely. Perfect. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Not Definitely Maybe, but Perfect Good. Yeah. <laughs> she was also played by Lisa Kudrow on the really? show The Good Place. Oh, my gosh. Like, at, yeah. So I don't think I've gotten there yet because, oh, my gosh, I need to check if it's uploaded yet because the last season wasn't up right for like the past forever because it has to go up like a year after or whatever okay I'm okay excited. so that's what Hypatia looked like so my answer is I have no idea what Hypatia looked like excellent who are you doing and what does she look like I'm doing Lady Godiva so, so we're a getting misty real 14. ancient a yes, misty 14, a misty 14. <laughs> we are getting real ancient tonight because I also don't know what Lady Godiva looked like <laughs> um what we know That she was a pale Anglo-Saxon British woman with extremely long flowing hair, which could cover her entire body. She most likely wore long flowing medieval dresses, but we typically think of her naked riding atop a white horse. And we do know that her hair was true. Everything else, probably not so, but her hair was true. And I'll get into that, uh, how we know that. So fun. In my story. Uh, All right, great. So before our drinks melt, Allie, what are we drinking tonight? Oh, 
This is called the Sweet Talk. Mm. And it is an ounce and a half of cognac, one ounce of chocolate liqueur, one ounce of heavy cream, a scoop of vanilla fudge swirl ice cream, a topped with nutmeg. Oh my goodness. So fancy. Looks delicious. Cheers. Cheers. Do you love it? I love it. It's going to taste exactly like your drink, I think. Yeah, our drinks are basically the same. That's okay. <laughs> but it's all right because, you know, what? it's really hot and like just a cold dessert drink. And they will only so have to right. buy one set of ingredients. Exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> you know what I heard this week that isn't true, I don't think? That people would cheers. The, the idea of cheersing came to be when you would clink glasses together so you wouldn't poison each other's glasses because your drinks would jump up and flow into the other cup what? i saw that on twitter i don't think it's true but it yeah, seems fun that is fun but i do picture like olden times like people like beer mug like clinking like thor size people clinking Just beer mugs and so much beer yeah it is a waste <laughs> of beer good yes you are right we have to be much more ginger now because liquor is expensive it wasn't like cheaper than water like and it, it has a luxury then. tax yeah <laughs> that's like mine is a definitely like a luxurious cocktail mm. So, all right. Tell me what you know about Hypatia of Alexandria. Okay. Hypatia of Alexandria. I know the name. I feel like she had something to do with the Library of Alexandria. Did she was she like a librarian? Like a leader in I'm not going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of her as like, I feel like she was like a really smart woman mm-hmm. who like was like a knowledge keeper. And that's what I know. I don't, I don't know anything about who she actually was or even if she was a real person. Yeah. Um, she, I mean, and that's what she was a super smart person, but there are so many like misconceptions about her. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to start with. You have to be really careful when you Google her or look at her like on Buzzfeed, like 10 facts about Hypatia uh, and double, triple check all of your sources because there's a couple things she was not. She was not the first female mathematician or philosopher. She did not create the astrolabe or the hydrometer. She was not the last librarian of the great library of Alexandria, although she did live in Alexandria. She was not a researcher or theorist in that she didn't create anything new and she was not an atheist and she was not pushing for women's rights okay people try to label her i just told you everything she's not i'm gonna tell you everything she is okay but people constantly try to like lay themselves on her um and it's just not true so i listened there's a history chicks episode i listened to i listened to a couple other five to ten minute podcasts about her there's not any like super long ones other than the history chicks and then this one yeah um I watched the wildly inaccurate movie Agora and then I went on Wikipedia and I looked at all the sources at the bottom of Wikipedia to get like a good detail of what's going on. So I have to paint a picture of the world around her because we don't know a ton about her, which means I have to get into some Grecian Egyptian politics and she's woven throughout it. But her story really heats up at the end gets a little bit violent at the end so I'll warn you before that happens because it gets a little bit gory but up until then it's just like setting the scene in this like ancient time in history so um the fall of the Roman Empire and the rise of the dark ages which we now know as the early middle ages happened at the end of her life okay so we're gonna go back a little bit before that 
Alexandria was founded around 331 BC by Alexander the Great, and he was laid on top of foundations of this older town. Alexandria is in the center of the northern coast of Egypt, so it's right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a port city. And um, we learned from the Cleopatra story that we did uh, a season and a half ago that it is just filled with universities and libraries and that other than Athens, it is like the city for wisdom in the world. It's like second only to Athens. And there's this institute called the Museum, which was an institute dedicated to the muses. That's where we get the word museum. No way. Yeah. I love that. I do too. All museums are like, this is the dedication to the Grecian muses. There's five in the Disney movie, but we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And the, the museum represented history and music and poetry and the arts and the sciences and all knowledge facets. As we talked about in the Cleopatra episode, part of the museum long before Hypatia's life was the Library of Alexandria, whose goal was to get copies of every written document in history. So they would stop every traveler coming through the port and like get their scrolls and books and then copy them and then sometimes give the one back. Okay. So they had everything in there. There are three or more fires that destroy this stuff throughout Ugh. history, as we know. And we talked about heavily that it just like once a month I think about it and I'm like, oh, my God. Absolutely. Because they say that we lost about a thousand years of humanity oh based on that. Like it set us back a thousand years. Well, and like of like and of people, probably more years of people. Right. And like, you know, like a thousand years of like, you know, that area's history, though. Yeah. Because like, I feel like there are so many other continents where like we will never have anything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And think about like, so if they're kind of like shaking down everybody that comes into the port, how many yeah. like letters and stuff Ugh. they had copied, you know, today they'll be like, it's said in a letter, but yes. blah, blah, blah. Well, we don't have that because it was all burnt to pieces in mm. the fire. So that's so sad, super sad. Um, But the quest for knowledge went on in Alexandria regardless for hundreds and hundreds of years. So if we zoom forward to fourth century AD, 600 years later, after the founding of the city is Mm -hmm. when Hypatia exists. Okay. So she's in the AD. She's nowhere. I mean, Cleopatra was like 69 AD. We're in like the 300 or something's ADs. Um, It's a very rich trade center, and there's a man named Theon, and he has a little girl named Hypatia, and she's born somewhere between 350 and 380 AD. Okay. That's a 30-year gap, but we don't know when. Um, No recorded birthday for her. As a female in this time in many parts of the world, you didn't learn to read and write. But Egypt was a little ahead of this, Mm. and I'm going to reference two episodes here. One we did on Merit Ptah where we learned that there were female doctors in Egypt and that they created contraceptives and that Grecian women would even go to Egypt to become doctors because they weren't allowed to in their hometown. And then we also learned in our Cleopatra episode that women could own property, they could get things out of their father's will, they could own businesses, and they could get divorces. If you want more on that, go back to those two oh, episodes. Um, Not going to recap. The episode on Merit Ptah and the Egyptian doctors blows my mind still to this day. That was, I think, one of the... One of our better episodes. It's a very cool one to, yeah. th- to think about the idea that they had this contraceptive so long ago. Yeah. That well, we did not have. And, and pregnancy also, tests. And again, try, like shows you that women have been trying to control birth rates 
forever. Oh, yeah, because she was like 2,000 years BC or yeah. something. She was so long ago. Yeah. Like, it, this isn't a new thing. Like, and also because I'm, it's been on my mind because the Supreme Court just knocked down um, birth control laws. Yes, I so saw that. I'm so sorry for everyone affected by that. Yeah, um, I did see a um, a website where you can get birth control for like fifteen dollars a month. Oh, uh, really? With, yes, without um, like doctor's visits and things like that. So I'll have to actually see if that's legit. Legit, because I feel like it could really help some people. Because navigating that kind of shit is so difficult. Especially if you don't know what you're doing and you're yeah. young and like you live with people who won't answer questions for you. Yeah. Because there are exactly. a lot of people who like teach abstinence only or like refuse to get you what you need. Yeah, exactly. So so we'll have to figure that yeah. out and, um, and post some information about it because it is so helps. important. Yeah, yeah. So important. Well, we will do that. Um. We don't know anything about Hypatia's childhood. Her mother is nowhere to be found. There's a possibility of a little brother. Her father wrote like my dear son in something, but it could have not been genetic son, like somebody just that he was in cahoots with. Um, I tend to believe that she had no brother or mother because I don't think Theon would have spent as much time with her. Mm. Otherwise, it's like he was very dedicated to her. Um, And he was Theon Alexandricus. And was considered the most well-educated man in the city of wisdom. So he's like the smartest guy at Harvard. Wow. He's a somebody. He is by all account all accounts tutoring his daughter, caring for and raising her on his own. And she's getting the best education in the late Roman Empire. She he was a great mathematician, but like he didn't have like a his like effect was minor in the grand scheme of things. It's not like he's okay. Pythagoras, you know, okay. like he just kind of was like in there. No Archimedes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> A squared plus B squared equals. <laughs> I solely know that from Cyber Chase, Excellent. the hit children's TV show on public television so on PBS. If you're a Cyber Chase fan, holla at me. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. What? It was so great. Oh, I'm sure it was. Was it Arthur? No. <laughs> she ends up like surpassing him in intelligence and becomes kind of like his colleague. Which is interesting. And like he was a practicer of Hellenistic religions, which we would call pagan because of like the Christianity like sphere. But it's really just like um, those those gods that the Greeks came up with that the Romans copied. That's like what Hellenistic is like Zeus, etc. So she becomes to be her father's colleague. Dad suggests you should go start teaching. This is more like the Grecian Plato style of teaching. So she's not like in a one room schoolhouse. She's like out in the streets and in amphitheaters, like talking it up. Mm -hmm. And again, there are female philosophers and doctors at this time in Egypt, but she seems to be the only female philosopher teacher. She's in the streets, like broadcasting her knowledge. And she is apparently an exceptional teacher that's very charismatic which means in the teacher realm she was very good with pedagogy the art and skill of teaching which is its whole thing it is its whole thing i mean i just want to tell people that Allie has her phd in education like it is a thing that people study because also i'm gonna say i think that's also like a fluid thing you have to know how to teach also in the times that you're living in yeah, you know and it saying? takes practice. Like yeah. I, 
I fuck up all the time in the classroom and I have to like rewrite and figure out how to do it better next time. And yeah. everybody knows there are people who are naturally good at pedagogy and people that yeah. are. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm one of the best. I've seen people that are some of the best and they are great. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me that that's what she was. Her main skill and the thing she will go down in history for, unfortunately, isn't pedagogy, but it should be. It should be. It's, it's frustrating to me that it's something that she actually did and we only know her for things that she didn't do. <laughs> yes, it is. It's extraordinary, extraordinarily frustrating. And then the reason that she becomes very famous is even more frustrating. Okay. Well, because I want to say it's because teachers don't get the respect they deserve. Never ever. (laughs) (laughs) Just like nurses from last week's episode, which I do want to note too. We were talking last week about nurses nurses and, and we we're talking about like medicine and we're like don't listen to doctors <laughs> i meant like when doctors were like not doing good things like <laughs> i was listening to it and i was like man i sound real anti-science right now and i am not so uh, she's saying when the house is fucking it up with his i cane. was just saying <laughs> when they were putting leeches on people um so i just wanted to clarify that because i feel like i came off very anti-medication and no I'm totally i think when, not. You, when you gave <laughs> when you gave the carla example from scrubs yes. i think that cleared you up Okay, I hope so, because I do very much so believe in, like, medicine and, like, science. Um, (laughs) I just, (laughs) I was like, yeah, you know, just drink some tea. And I was like, for some things, but not for everything. (laughs) All right, Katie, (laughs) you psycho. So I just wanted to clarify that because I, uh, yeah. We forget what we say when we're drunk. <laughs> Literally, we forget. We don't know. We have to re-listen to the episodes because I don't remember A them. lot of times we finish and I'm like, what just happened? Okay. So her reputation begins to grow as a really great teacher. And um, students come from like all over the Roman Empire to like learn from her. And they're very devoted to her. Some say because of her serious beauty. But also she's like extremely virtuous and remained a virgin for her entire life, which we will talk about a little bit later why. She received many marriage proposals from her male students, but was uninterested in romantic relationships. Um, There's this one famous story that's unverified, but everybody tells it, so I'm gonna. Um, (laughs) One student had these deep, deep feelings for her, and he'd flirt with her all the time and ask for her hand, and he wasn't taking the no means no, like... So one day he's asking and she reaches in her bag and pulls out her bloody menstrual rags and is like, you don't love me. This is what being a partner is. This is the reality of a woman. You just lust after me. Oh my God. My queen. Absolutely. I want to say that all the time when like (laughs) people are like, well, no, I don't tell my husband about my period. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. You have to. Yeah. Like, I I, remember being embarrassed to talk about it in front of boys. And then I got older and I was like, why? Why? Why are we making this like a huge secret? Yeah. It's not a secret. (laughs) It's absolutely not. I would have been mortified to be like, dad, I need to go buy some pads and tampons. Right. I shouldn't be. And like, I so sincerely hope that like girls in the future don't have any of those qualms. Yeah. It's like, dad, with the tan packs already. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Producer buys stuff for me when I'm out. I love that. Yeah. Like, I I also just want to say too, farting in front of your partner is very freeing. 
I agree. I, I know that not a lot of people are on it, but my health really got a lot better <laughs> when I started doing that. Your um, your your digestional my health. digestive <laughs> my digestive health really improved. Good. So. Uh, <laughs> This is the type of stuff that you listen back to and you're like, I hate myself. Oh, yeah. On a weekly basis. <laughs> anyway, good move, girl, because men think periods are gross and he probably left you alone from yeah. then on. Mm. But hopefully one day he'd be like, yes, yeah, so what? You're bleeding. Yeah. Let's get down anyway. Wow. It, the correct response should be like, man, like you are so strong. Like, you know, that's amazing. That's amazing that you do that. You can grow a baby and get rid of eggs. Incredible. <laughs> radical <laughs> he's not a ninja <laughs> turtle <laughs> i was just thinking if like there was like a you know tv spot in like the 90s that was like <laughs> if they the proper way to react to bell. periods yeah <laughs> zach she's got her period <laughs> zach tubular i love it <laughs> by the way how are your tubes how do you feel Look like they're in good function do you have cramps you having a good flow <laughs> okay I'm so sorry. I love it. I love it. Okay. One of her important students that has nothing to do with her menstrual flow was um, Cineas of Cyrene. And he, from the time he was her student, for the rest of his life, wrote letters to her asking for advice. And we do have seven of those letters. And one of them, he said something like, if it's true that the deceased forget the people from life, I will never forget the teachings of Ugh. Hypatia because she was such a dear friend. He is like saying that surpass that her teachings surpass reincarnation. That's amazing. Yeah, he he's very dedicated to her and a lot of her students were. He also referred to her as a philosopher, which was a term reserved for men and has a much deeper meaning back then than it does today. You're not just at, like an intellectual but a master of knowledge. Um, and few women got that title. Even few men got that title. Yeah. So being a philosopher is a big deal. He ends up going on to become a Christian bishop of Ptolemaeus, which is modern day Libya. And he was a very influential man. And so are many of her students. And like I said, they're very dedicated. They were almost like disciples to her. And she instructed them in many sciences, math, geometry, physics, astronomy, philosophy. But she's an expert in philosophical teachings of Plato. So now we're going to get a little philosophy 101. Okay. Because we have to understand kind of where she's coming from to get into what's going to happen to her. Yeah. Also, I kind of love the idea of Hypatia as like a secret cult leader. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love it. I mean, these boys were down for her. I also I like I feel like if I were to write a book on Hypatia, it'd be the reluctant cult leader. Because she's, she's like, oh, like oh my gosh, I really don't care about you. So, and they're like, no, care about us. Tell me something. <laughs> she's like, no, my dad just told me to teach you. So. <laughs> um, she was a Neoplatonist or part of Neoplatonism, which I got a tiny degree doing this research. Okay. I'm guessing it's like Plato's teaching, but like the new wave of them. Yes. New, okay. new wave of Play Plato I teaching. Know a little bit of Latin, apparently. Look at that. Look that down. <laughs> <laughs> so there's two types overall there's one that's overtly pagan she's not part of that one the other one's kind of like mysticism she's more a part of that so um 
she took part in like the nature of reality so she compared like mind versus matter and substance versus attribute and possibility versus actuality so like if physics is knowing what we know about the world then metaphysics is like what's beyond and that's okay. where she was she believed that there were three fundamental elements, specifically the one, which is a supreme divine entity. So she's kind of monotheistic okay. in her faith um, and her beliefs. Really, it's not quite a religion, so it's not a faith. And then the other two are the soul and the intellect. And she believed that human souls were fragmented and they forgot the one and they're trying to get their way back to the one so to get there you must live a life of learning and focus and dedication so to me this is like Taoism. it's yeah. like meditating to like get into the cycle or like even buddhism right you're trying to be enlightened mm -hmm. um and that's what she's doing in general she believed that the material world was a distraction which is why she did not have sex it's why she deprived herself of drinking um and it's why she was obsessed with purity of body and did not complete any pagan rituals i want to say this again she was not completing any hellenistic religious principles okay um and a lot of people think that that's why the end of her story happens but that's not true um she didn't alienate any of her students. She saw um, everybody as very important. So she taught Christians. She taught Jews. She taught pagans. Like, they're all there. Um, she ends up like the head of the Neoplatonist school in Alexandria. And her courses are unprecedented in the success of her students. She's so good at it. It is... Um, she's also really incredible at using tools. And this is where the invention thing comes in. She did not invent the hydrometer or the astro astrolabe, but she did make them. So people had invented them and okay. then they would be like, can you build one? And she would build it for them so they could use it. And then she could also adjust it and synthesize the data and whatnot. But she okay. never actually invented them. She was just skilled at using different things. And she taught students how to use them. And then there's also this mechanism that could figure out the movements of the planets and when the next eclipse is. Mm -hmm. Also didn't make that, but could use it. Okay. Which some people think that one of the things lost in the Library of Alexandria is Kepler finding out that like the sun is the center of the universe oh. they're like oh i think we knew that already but like a thousand and a half years ago and it was gone right and then we had what copernicus coming right. up with it again yeah okay. and it's like so we it's just we don't know that that's true but it seems like from all the research because she did a lot of research in geometry with like cone shapes and like ellipses and parabolas and like an orbit would have been something that was very like the, the Egyptians would have understand orbits. Yeah. So it's something that people think may have happened, but we don't have any proof. Mm -hmm. After her dad dies, she continues teaching. Her students grow. They become super influential men all over the Roman Empire. And she starts to carry some real political weight because of all the men you ever teach become important men. Then you become a very important person. Right. And there's a quote about her that says, on account of the majestic outspokenness and as a result of her education, she maintained a dignified intercourse with the chiefs of people and all cities esteemed her highly. Oh. So they were very, very into her. This is where the good stuff ends. Now we're going to kind of start getting into where her life's going to fall apart. 
Okay. Historically, there's a ton of problems in Alexandria. Shortly before Hypatia was born, Emperor Constantine, good dude, kind of, but he legalized Christianity, which was really good for the Christians because this is the first time that was legal in the Roman Empire. And all of the sudden, they're not persecuted anymore. But of course, they're going to hold anger because let's remember the Colosseum was big and famous for persecuting Christians. But like Christians were killed and beaten in the streets and crucified and treated like shit, like in gruesome, gruesome murders all over the Roman Empire. That's right before she's born that Christianity becomes legal. So by the time she's 30, like I said, she has Christian students and pagan students, and she has to kind of balance the line between you know, her Christian students and her not Christian students. And overnight, Christianity had gone from an extremist cult to an organized religion. So they are even fighting amongst themselves Mm. because we're writing like things like the Nicene Creed were wrote during this time, like in 381, like I believe in blah, 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 blah. And they're fighting over every line, which is why we have so many sects and denominations of religions overall. Alexandria turns into a majority Christian city. There's some pagans, some Jews, but mostly Christians. And Hypatia's kind of dealing with that. But just by teaching astronomy and science, she is slighting God. You know what I mean? Even if she's not anti-Jesus or not anti-God, what she's saying is kind of a slight to the newly free legal Christians. Okay. I do want to put a disclaimer here. Christians, specifically a certain Catholic saint, is going to look like a really, really big bad guy in this story. This is not a slight at all of Christianity. It's not a slight at Catholicism or every saint that's ever existed. It's just this moment in history. Horrible treatment on both sides, which is why I wanted to bring up all the persecution of Christians ahead of time because they were fucking angry and they should have been. They were treated like shit for a really long time. Yeah. One, I feel like that happens all the time with our stories is the way that you tell it and the like we're always trying to take the perspective of the person who we are talking about right and sometimes the people around them who maybe didn't seem bad before look really bad in this story right so like go back and listen to my monica Lewinsky episode and then immediately listen to my hillary clinton episode and you're gonna see that the the perspective is so different because it's not about what i think it's about what the story denotes yep exactly so the year is 391 AD. Emperor Theodosius issues a decree which makes paganism illegal. Again, she's not a pagan, but now the shoe's on the other foot. Okay. So Christians were illegal. Now they're legal. Now pagans are illegal. I just kind of feel like you should never make any sort of religion illegal. Freedom of religion, right. Yeah. Should I mean, unless cool. it's like a cult that's like harming people. Like I kind of feel like Scientology should yeah, be illegal. Yeah, yeah. But... There's a there's a massive difference between like an organized religion and yes. people like gathering peacefully to worship and yeah. like something that's harming someone. Yeah. Um. So Christians take control of the city. It's the opposite of the past. They start to tear down some pagan temples. And this emperor guy is opposed to um, Hypatia's philosophy. But in general, he tolerates her teaching because she teaches Christians. She's like not being a bad person so he's like okay with it so there's this new bishop and he starts destroying pagan artifacts and that makes them really really mad so the pagans attack the christians which prompts them to attack back which forces the pagans to hide in this ancient temple 
And the Christians then siege siege this temple, like holding them inside. But the Christian, the pagans had taken some Christians inside and are torturing them. So everybody's bad in this situation. So the emperor orders the Christians, let the pagans go, let them leave, and then just destroy the temple. Problem is, this temple had the leftover stuff from the Library of Alexandria. Oh, my so God. It's like all the leftover stuff. And Hypatia's not there. She's not involved in this. She doesn't want to be involved in this. But this is happening in the town where she lives. So all of this religious anger is bubbling up. And um, because of that, we lose a lot of the remaining scrolls from the library. And it, it just, it's a big source of unrest in the city and I do want to be clear here I'm okay with the Christians going in and saying we're going to take down these pagan statues because these are people who have been oppressed for over 300 years Mm -hmm. I'm not cool with you burning knowledge scrolls books artifacts not cool if you want to replace buildings if you want to replace statues Go for it. Yeah. Don't take away the actual history. Yep. You can take down monuments. Who gives a shit? Yep. Don't take away the thing we actually need to study the past. Yeah, absolutely. And they, we're they just did both. keep making the same mistakes. I mean, <laughs> right. we're making the same mistakes now, even yeah. though we do have the history. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> we do. But I just wanted to make that clear because it is a very important distinction. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it just breaks my heart again that we just lost all of that knowledge. Yeah. It's really sad. So the bishop dies and his nephew Cyril takes over. And there's two camps. One group wants Cyril to take over and one group wants this guy Timothy. After three days of fighting, Cyril takes over and then kills all the Christians that were trying to vote for Timothy and he destroys all their churches. Still, Hypatia kept teaching, but was somehow staying out of the public eye for most of this. She isn't denying Jesus. She's not really questioning what Christians do. So she's kind of staying to the side. But she was super well connected, which is a threat. And she did have Christian support from high up. Even like I said, that guy that really loved her ends up being a bishop of a whole like country. Um, And then... So we've got Cyril, who's the bishop of the town, and we have Orestes, who's like the governor. So you have the religious leader and the political leader, and that's where this shit is going to break apart. These two guys hate each other. They're not getting along. They both want to be in charge of Alexandria. Cyril wants it to be religious power. Orestes wants it to be government power. Mm -hmm. There's a festival every Sabbath for the Jews, Obviously, they're the other group of people in this town and they would gather and they would dance in the streets and just have a blast. And Cyril makes it illegal for them to have a Sabbath festival. And Cyril's main general goes and just kind of stands there during the next Sabbath festival, which starts getting people really, really uncomfortable. Orestes is there and they're all kind of like looking at this general guy and it ends up turning into like a full out riot in the streets with like people being tortured and corporal punishment and everything's going bad. And it gets so bad that the governor guy Orestes like almost gets killed as if it's like an assassination attempt. Like he's almost being murdered, but that turns into making Cyril look like a really, really bad guy. 
Um, so he almost gets assassinated and Cyril's like, oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. And Orestes is like, no, dude, you like tried to kill me. We have no proof that he tried to kill him. But it's like you tried to get rid of me in this like Jewish like Sabbath like ceremony. Like, why would you do that? Right. But then, I mean, Orestes isn't a great guy either because then he took that general that was there and like um, tortured him publicly to death in the town square. So it's like this is just all male rage coming out in this story okay um but Cyril is just really upset that he doesn't have total control and he can't get control of Orestes so he decides if I'm seething and mad at this man then I need to go to the person that he goes to for advice so he goes after Hypatia instead People do believe that he ordered the assassination of Orestes and the Jews just up and leave the city. They're like, we got to get out of here. This is crazy. But on the way out, they set the Church of St. Alexandria on fire one night and then are like, oh, my God, the church is on fire. Come help. And when the Christians get there, they just slaughter them all (sighs) in the streets. So they're on their way out and we're like, we're going to take y'all with us. Peace. So nobody's innocent in this story. Um so most people are not happy with this. So then uh, the rumor mill starts because Cyril's like, I know what to do. I'm going to get rid of this girl who's in charge of all these men because she's taught all of them. Um, I feel like she's just like, look, I feel like she's, she's like, just, I don't want anything to do with I'm this. I'm clean of this. Like, I'm just a teacher. She didn't believe in any of their religions. She didn't believe in any of it, but... She's about to get in trouble for it. She's trying to just like get into some fucking cones. Yeah. And they are accusing her of what I accused her of earlier as being a cult leader. Right. Basically. They say, (laughs) go after this pagan woman. He spread a rumor that she has Orestes wrapped around her finger, that she's anti-Cyril, that she's anti-Christian, that she's a witch, that her science tools are from the devil. That's what they start to spread about her and um, that she engaged in satanic practices and is inherently and intentionally hampering the church, uh, which, you know, gets to the Christians and they're like, but we're so new. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're brand new. How could you do this, Hypatia? Um, so we don't know if her murder, which is about to happen. So I told you earlier, this is going to get gruesome. This is the point when you need to skip ahead if this is the case. We don't know if her murder was ordered or inspired by rumor, but during the Lenten season of March 415 AD, people felt inspired by God to take care of her. So she's taken drug out of her carriage on her way home from teaching. She was dragged to the church that was built by Cleopatra to honor Mark Antony. Um, but had been turned into a Christian church at this time. It's like the public center is beautiful in this church. It has these two obelisks on the outside, which we still have. One of them's in London, but it's so cool because when you go to that obelisk, it's like this oversaw Hypatia's death. So you can like be look at the obelisk and then like, I think the other one's still in Egypt. I'd have to look that up though. I'm not sure. It might be in Greece. Um, she is murdered in this church. Um, it's, this is a completely innocent woman. She's drugged through the streets. They get her into the church. They strip her naked and using astroka, which could be translated to roof tiles or oyster shells. We're not sure. They um, 
cut all of her skin off. <gasps> oh my god! While she's alive, um, they scrape the flesh from her bones. They take her eyes out. I'm sure she dies in the midst of this. Um, they rip off her limbs, drag her limbs through the street, and then set them on fire. Um, it's a horrible, horrible, torturous death for a completely innocent woman who did absolutely nothing. Um, and, you know, the Romans had been awful to the Christians too, but this is not what she deserved. She was around 45 or 65, somewhere between there when she died, because we don't know her birth date. She's somewhere in that 20-year gap. Um, Cyril <laughs> ends up being canonized as a saint. He's a saint. Oh, my God. Um, He's also the horse in Wind of the Willows. He really is. <laughs> <laughs> I kept thinking, what do I know no, that Cyril from. name from? Yeah, well, he's also St. Cyril. And this is why people have a really hard time with this story. They're like, okay, well, he was a hard man for hard times, and he didn't actually order her death, but his rumors may have inspired her death. Um, and then people try to paint her in all these different lights. Um, and then after that, and not immediately after that, but pretty close after, we have the, what's used to be known as the Dark Ages, but Christians got mad at that because it was 500 to 1,000 years of like Christians being in charge. And they called it the Dark Ages because it was kind of anti-science. So now we call it the Early Middle Ages. Okay. Um, so there's been a switch in it. And, you know, it, it's hard because like growing up, um, in a very religious household, I understand how that can be so insulting. But it's yeah. not an insult to present-day Christians in general. There are a lot of present-day Christians that are very pro-science yeah. and, like, very cool with, like, hey, we're going to make this and this and this and all these progressive changes. So I don't want it to be, like, it's everybody. This is just what happened then. This is, like, when the Crusades are about to happen and Christians are about to go into battle and slaughter a lot of people. Right. Um but that, that her death comes on the precipice of that. And some people mark her death as like the reason it happened. It's not. Okay. It's not the reason. It just happened in that time period. She's just like a casualty of the fucking mad yes. times that were existing. Exactly. Okay. Um, so her murder is what made her famous. And again, she wasn't killed because she was a science woman. She wasn't killed because she was pagan. She wasn't killed because she hated Christians. Hypatia was not the last pagan. She was not the last Neoplatonist. She was not anything super fancy. She's just a woman who did her job really well and then was murdered. That's it. That's all she is. And that's okay that that's all she is. I think that people get really upset about not, like, making it a bigger deal. But right. it's not. That's just um, who she was. So for centuries, um, philosophers were seen as effectively untouchable. So that is something interesting, that she is a philosopher that was killed in public violence. Usually okay. you kind of left them out of it. Um, none of her individual works survived if there in fact are any most of the time she annotated stuff she like, okay. looked at other people's works and we have her writing on a lot of their work that made it more clear because again she's a good teacher mm -hmm. she was explaining what that person previously wrote she was a political influence which attracted attention and hatred she was unequaled in her knowledge likability and nobility and she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time fuck that's Hypatia of Alexandria. Wrong place, Man. wrong time. I just feel like it's what people do all the time where, like, they blame the teachers for, like, all of society's problems. Right. And teachers are like, 
we're doing the best that we can with like the limited resources we have. And she's like, I'm doing the best I can when literally all of my students want to murder each other. Yeah. Like she's trying to remain neutral and good and, you know, accepting of everyone. Yeah. But then I feel like the educators are like the first to blame. Yeah. It's It's kind of like being like you were a teacher and like you messed up in this way. It's like, I'm literally made to teach this textbook. Right. Like, I'm funded by the government. Like, I can't go too crazy off the course. And it's interesting because I've thought a lot about posting something, but then I decided it's not time and place. I think a lot of time if you try to, like, distract attention off of the real issue, that that's a problem. But it is something that I've thought a lot about where it's like there's so many people that get online that are like, nobody taught us about, you know, Thomas Jefferson having sex with his slave Sally. Nobody taught us about this. Nobody taught us about that. And I'm like, actually, I did. Were you fucking listening? (laughs) Maybe, maybe I did bring that up and you just didn't listen because your parents told you math was the only important subject. Maybe that's what happened. Well, because that's what school boards are telling you is that math and science are the only important subjects. Get a good grade in math and science so that you can go to college. Nobody cares about history. They all are like, who cares? Yeah. And I can definitely tell you that I didn't learn about any of that, but I also went to freaking private Christian school. So, you know, I was being taught that like, Dinosaurs are only real because Job mentions them in the Bible once. Right. I mean, Um, we're we're (laughs) teaching about like in sixth grade, I teach about the genocide in Rwanda. Like you're telling me I'm not teaching kids about this. You're a liar. Well, (laughs) that's the thing. I think it's hard to see that things are getting better like that because the kids that are learning that the kids that you're teaching are in sixth grade. They're not adults yet. They're not adults yet. And I think that that's something that like, we are trying to fix. And like, I feel like Hypatia was trying to fucking fix things, but like, I think it's a stepping ladder. Like it's the reason that boomers were different in school than Xers and why millennials are different than we keep fixing the curriculum to make it better or trying to at least, but you know, yeah, who knows? But yeah, it's very interesting. Fascinating story. Yep. She was killed for nothing for nothing. And that's her, the whole reason she's famous. Otherwise there are many female philosophers who did not go down in history. Wow. She was killed for nothing. And that's the reason she's famous. And I think she would have liked it the other way. Probably. <laughs> Instead of having her skin uh, skinned off with Ugh. Ruth tiles or oyster shells. Which, how do you mess that up? That translation. <laughs> <laughs> Must not have had a good teacher. <laughs> Phonics. <laughs> All right. We're going to make a new cocktail and it will be right back. Goodbye. So we're back with another chocolate drink. And away we go. And here we are. What a dessert um, happy evening. I know. Wonderful. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to be like very sick tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, but but uh, on a sugar high. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's really what's like pushing me through this episode is the sugar high. How do you feel about the new Harry Styles song, Watermelon Sugar High? I love it. I do too. I am a big fan of Harry Styles. I, he's great. I like him. I like his big wide pants. Um, I also love that. Actually, one of my favorite stores in Baltimore is called Watermelon Sugar. Really? Yeah. So I feel like I already have a reference for it. It's funny. There was a different um, 
Hypatia cocktail that had like watermelon juice in it. Mm. And I probably should have done that now that I'm looking at this one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was like the first time I heard it on the radio, I was like, what is he saying? Oof. I love it. Watermelon sugar high. Mm. There you go. <sighs> Just dated ourselves. <laughs> You know, I like that Harry style. I think he's hip. I, you know, he's really getting back to what music was. I like his pants. <laughs> is what you said. Because oh. it's true. Yeah. Um, do you want to know what you're about to drink? I do. It looks so good. So this is called the Gold of Godiva. So it is basically a twist on a white Russian. Um, it's Which is my favorite. I know. Oh, they're so good. It's uh, two ounces of vodka, an ounce of uh Kahlua or any type of coffee liqueur, a half ounce of Goldschlager, a half ounce of Godiva chocolate liqueur, and then you top the whole thing off with heavy cream, and then you shave chocolate over top. Now, uh, Allie is packing up her house, so I had to use an apple peeler. <laughs> but it, it worked shave, well. You know what? It looks amazing. It really does. So, cheers. It could be a culinary <laughs> artist. Oh, it's so good. Mm. And it tastes different than the last it one. It actually tastes extremely different. Which is shocking. I think, I think because of the coffee in it. You okay. Know? Yeah. But mm, I love a white Russian. Mm-hmm. And I like the little cinnamonness of the uh, Goldschlager. Yeah. That's very, very good drink. Mm. So tasty. I'm going to need that <laughs> recipe. We're, this is like one of the ones that I feel like we could like bring back next Christmas oh, and yeah. like make it for people. It oh, yeah. So and then tasty. we'll be like, guess what we made? Because remember the one time we made the Joan of Arc one for people? Yeah! <laughs> I think it was like Thanksgiving or something. Oh my gosh, what was that? No, I feel like it was like... It was like two years ago, so it's... I feel like it was in the summertime, though, because I feel like we brought them outside. It was outside, but I think it was like a fall. It was like a September type of... It was like a Labor Day thing. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. I feel like it was Labor Day. Mm. My, anyways. we've been doing this podcast too long. Um. Anyways, I, I did make our um Judy Garland cocktail for house guests recently that's funny i made the nelly bly one when i went um to my brother's house really Mm -hmm. you made it for us too for my um my fake wedding your very merry on wedding which now number one very merry on wedding number one because i have to postpone my wedding yet again so to anyone else who's going through that uh i deeply sympathize with you so sorry um it really does so suck it sucks so, uh, yeah, I was feeling very emotional at the venue the other day because I was like realizing that we really had to postpone it. And then again, again. and I was like, well, apparently Case and I are getting married in 2025. And I like <laughs> kind of freaked out. My mom was like, OK, it's time for us to go. Um, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the venue people were being so nice, but I just wasn't expecting that kind of news of like, we really can't do it. So anyways. Um, I promise I wasn't like mean to the venue people. No, no, I no. was just like you get, were having letting a, my emotions get the best of you me. You were having an in interior battle. Yeah, I was with your emotions. Um, so, uh, anyways, what do you know about Lady Godiva? Okay, I know Godiva is a chocolate. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's related. I'm sure it is. Um, I know that she would ride around on a horse naked, and that her hair would cover up her boobs. Mm-hmm. Um. And that reminds me of the Blue Lagoon. Have you ever seen that movie? Wait, is that the <laughs> one with the Brooke Shields? I think so, yeah. <laughs> and like the whole movie, she's naked because she's like stranded on this island and her hair yep. is like in front of her boobs. And that I always thought about that. I know, and that, I mean, that's all I know about her. I think she was riding 
naked in protest of something. Mm-hmm. But that's all. I, I don't know what or why. Okay, fantastic. Tell me. So I got a lot of this from How Stuff Works, Grunge.com, and Wikipedia. Um, and as we all know, last week, I did a story from the Iron Ages, Queen Boudicca. Go back and listen if you haven't. It was so good. Uh, and now I'm going from the Iron Age to the Middle Ages. So buckle up. I was in the pre-Middle Ages. I know. <laughs> we're just getting ancient. I feel like when we were making the schedule, we're like, we really don't do enough from like the ancient times. And then we're like, let's do it all in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> let's just cram it in. Exactly. So similar to last week, we have no idea when Lady Godiva was born and her life seems to start having a record when she marries Leofric, the Earl of Mercia, sometime in the 11th century in England. Her husband, Leofric, was a pretty powerful man. The region of Mercia was at the very center of modern day England and it was just across the way from Wales and his authority radiated from nearly every direction to influence people all across Anglo-Saxon England. So he was a big deal. Some records say that Lady Godiva had nine children, but we really only care about one of them, a son named Elfgar, who we know from his rise to fame as the Earl of Mercia when his father passed away. And he also became the Earl of East Anglia and from his daughter's legend. So Elfgar is Lady Godiva's son. And then he had a daughter who was known as Edith of Mercia. And she would go on to marry King Harold II, the last Anglo-Saxon king of England. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? That is. So I just think it's a cool little bit of information because this is not like a super long story, but I like all the historic crossroads we meet at. Now, all the names that we're saying are kind of like an the begin like the end of an evolution of names, because these are all, again, names from the Middle Ages, which we don't use anymore. Um, so Godiva was not her real name. It was actually um, Godgifu. Oh, yeah, which means good gift, but it's just not quite as elegant. (laughs) I mean, I know that I always think of Lady Godiva from the Queen song, Don't Stop Me Now, Mm. which I would just love if it was like a lady good gift (laughs) instead of Lady Godiva. I mean, really, it would sound great. It would sound fantastic. But it would be awful in poems. Yeah. Um, and she also technically would not have been a lady in her time. So lady was reserved for the queen and the queen alone. So she was simply referred to as the Earl's wife. And even as time progressed, the wife of an Earl would be known as a countess, not a lady. So she would never have been or ever was, will be whatever a lady. So her official title from the middle ages would technically be, Leofric Earl's Gebeda Gudgifu. <laughs> That's not going to sell me chocolate, though. Not going to sell me chocolate, so we're going to stick with Godiva. <laughs> so, other than the famous I don't know, Lint did okay. <laughs> There's so many consonants <laughs> in that word. <laughs> I'd also like to everybody know that I did splurge for the actual Godiva chocolate liqueur. Just so you she know. She could have used my... I could have, because you... I, that I own. But I have... I have 
the black one and the white one, the see-through one, so you can use I it. I had to throw away my white chocolate liqueur recently. Did it get moldy inside? I was like, I didn't even look. I was just like, I've had this for like two years. Oh yeah, mine's not that old. I one. feel like I need to get rid of it. Is it like that one spice in your spice rack where mm-hmm. you're like, I'm sure it's stale? Yep, I'm a hundred percent sure. Paprika always gone. Other one stale. <laughs> So, um, other than the famous horse ride, which we will get to, there are a few other things to know about her. We know that she came into the marriage with a considerable amount of wealth and eight countries that she called her very own. What? Now, I don't know if it was like a mistype and she meant like counties because country, I don't know what constituted as a country in those times. You know what I'm saying? Because eight countries would be kind of wild. Well, I mean, isn't it the reason they call it the United Kingdoms? That there's a yeah. lot of different shit going on there? I guess so. I don't I don't know. But I know that one of the areas she owned was the town of Coventry, which was a rural farming town. Mm-hmm. We also know that she was a very pious and religious woman, even having her own gold and silver melted down to be recast as crucifixes and other like religious artifacts. Like she was super willing to just be like, oh, you need some shit for the church? Here, go for it. Um, And speaking of the church, she was also the main benefactor to the local Benedictine Abbey, which we will come, which will come into play later when attempting to find the real Godiva. So after Leofric's death in 1057, his widow lived on until sometime between the Norman conquest of 1066 and 1086. She is mentioned in the Domestay survey as one of the few Anglo-Saxons and the only woman to remain a major landholder shortly after the conquest. But by the time of this great survey in 1086, Godiva had died. So we know that that's like the last time she could have been alive. Okay. But her former lands um, were listed and like held by others. Thus, we think she died again between 1066 and 1086. But between them, we don't really know exactly when. 1066 is a really important date. Magna Carta, maybe? I have no idea. I feel like 1066 is like, that's a year that I should know. Right. (laughs) Uh, But I'm really drunk. I know. I feel like it might be. It's a year that we should know as a history podcast. I feel like it might be the Magna Carta. Okay. I might be right. I don't know. I'll look it up later. You can also Google it while I'm talking. I won't be offended. (laughs) Um, But of course, she's not really known for any of that. She is known for her famous horse ride. So this whole naked horse ride came about because she felt that her husband, Leofric, had imposed some extremely harsh and like unbelievable taxes on the people of Coventry. She was like, dude, these people will starve. They don't have any fucking money. So if you tax them this high, they literally won't have any money to eat. But he just wouldn't listen to her. She was on him for weeks about this, just relentless in her request. And finally, he said, look, if you want me to lower taxes, you'll have to ride naked in the streets. So he's just an offhand comment like when pigs fly. It's exactly it. This is the equivalent to when pigs fly. And then we're going to see that it's also the equivalent to when Smithers and Mr. Burns are looking out the window and Homer Simpson has launched a pig literally across Springfield. Mm, Spider pig. Spider pig. Also, because we're going to cut the previous thing, 1066 Battle of Hastings. We now know. Excellent. Everybody knows 1215 Magna Carta. Still tweet us. It's fine. But it's just we, (laughs) we, we Googled it. So after he said this, she was like, "Okay, well, I'm not fucking joking around. So 
She stripped her clothes off, got on a horse, tastefully put her hair, her long golden hair, all over her body to cover herself. And she went riding in the streets of Coventry. Completely naked. Completely naked. The town citizens knew that she was doing this for them. So as the legend goes, they all stayed in their houses, even just like out of running respect. away from the street okay. to like as a sign of respect, like we're not going to fucking look at you. But of course, there was one man who couldn't keep his eyes to himself. But when he peeked out, his name's Tom, is mm-hmm. it? Oh, to stare God. at the naked countess, the guards pierced his eyes out. Which is where we get the phrase peeping Tom is this story. I cannot <laughs> believe that. So poor she, Tom. Poor Tom. No, he's a dick. Um, so she, it's like doubting Thomas. Exactly. Like, yeah, they're Tom's, both Toms. They are. Man, Toms have it bad. <laughs> <laughs> Rough. <laughs> so she finished her ride. Leah Frick lowered the taxes and the people were forever grateful. What did it really happen? (laughs) Most (laughs) historians say no for a few reasons. Number one, this story didn't surface until around 1057 when Roger of Wendover, a Benedictine monk and historian from St. Albans, wrote her story into the historical record. Now, Roger was known around the Abbey for caring more about a good story than historical fact. Some, He's a Lockhart. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Some say that he picked up the story from passing travelers and just kind of zhuzhed it up a bit because his church was at a major crossroads. So he saw a ton of people and his church was very well connected with the Coventry Abbey. So, uh... Some believe that he found a similar story in the church records because, again, they had this connection with the Coventry Abbey. So they got a lot of their artifacts because the Coventry Abbey was destroyed um, by, I think, like the Dutch army or something. Um, But anyway, so some say that he got the story from there um, and he just kind of altered it to create a heroine who people could connect with. Another thing that makes this all a bit more likely is the fact that the story describes her writing on roads and through a market. And that's what's portrayed in every painting and every, you know, visual adaptation of the Lady Godiva story. But Coventry was a rural farming community with around 350 serfs. So they wouldn't really have like roads or a market. So he's describing things that are just out of the realm of possibility for the area that she was in. Exactly. It would be kind of like if I was like, yeah, and then Abraham Lincoln got into his Ferrari and drove to D.C. It's like, like, "Mm, Ferraris didn't actually exist then. That we know of. (laughs) That we know of. (laughs) Not even a Model T Ford. Exactly. (laughs) Which, have you watched Ford vs. Ferrari? No, I haven't. My God, it's good. Really? You would love it. I mean, I love Christian Bale. I I mean, he's insane. (laughs) It's it's you and Casey would love it. You would love it, and it's there's a positive husband wife relationship in it, which I love seeing on television because it's very rarely done. Again, I just we talked about this recently, where I feel like it's just so easy to like paint the. We were talking about this with Leslie and Ben Mm -hmm. in Parks and Rec. How like drama is easy. Drama is easy. It's hard to write a good relationship. Exactly. 
Um, Because they're more rare. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, another most likely untrue part of the story is Peeping Tom himself. So he didn't become part of the lore until around the 17th century. So like well after his story came out. Many people believe that this was to shift the story yet again. um, Because when Tom comes into the story... We add an element of shame into what was originally perceived as an act of bravery. So I kind of think of it as like the little girl that stated what everyone knew about the emperor not having any clothes on. Mm. It brings an element of like, oh, like she's naked. You it's, know what I'm saying? It's, it's such just, a Western thing that nakedness is, is bad. Bad. Yeah. yeah. And... When you place, it's like when you place someone in the story to highlight the nudity, you're highlighting the fact that it's wrong and indecent. And now it becomes a story of chastity and the evils of lust rather than than the original point of the story, which was a story of the people's rights and activism. Right. So in Lord Alfred Tennyson's poem, Godiva, He says, Tom's eyes shriveled into darkness in his head and dropped before him, which also implies that it was like a divine punishment. Again, rooting the story even more so in these Christian moral ideals. So although it kind of seems like a funny part of the story now, because we only think of it as like, oh my gosh, that's where that phrase comes from. That's so crazy. I think it does a total disservice to Godiva because it shifts our focus. And now we're not concerned about, oh, my gosh, that was so brave. We're concerned with like, ugh, there was this creep in the neighborhood who, of course, is like staring at her like naked breasts. Right. And according to historian and author Daniel Donahue, he said um, in his book about Lady Godiva, over time, Tom would become the scapegoat and bear the symbolic guilt for people's desire to look at this naked woman. So, again, Now this story is just riddled with like guilt and weird feelings and like it was wrong and it just. So it's like we're going to pierce you in the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like the story of this brave woman and this perverted man are inextricably linked for no reason because they could have just never included Peeping Tom. And you can also see the effect of this by how our language has evolved around it. Right. Even though Godiva is a well-known name, people most likely don't know who she is. They probably just think of chocolate. Yeah. But when you say someone was a peeping Tom, no explanation is needed at all. We get it. We totally get it. It's because men suck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's horrible. I really do like men. It makes me sound awful. (laughs) But it's just, I think it's, it's so much easier to see a male deviant. Yes. And then to see a female activist. Exactly. Okay. And I just think that the evolution of the story of like, now we have to put a perverted man to be like, yeah, but it's not right. She was doing a good thing because like, then they had, it was, it kind of feels to me like they were backtracking. They said, well, yeah, she was doing it for the people and she was doing it for a good reason. But she did it naked. But it still wasn't right because she was naked. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker. Like she was fixing this soldier, but she ripped 
her clothes off to do it. Exactly. To make a tourniquet. So clearly she was being a heathen. Yeah. Okay. It just, the whole thing really bothers me because, again, I think then we focus solely on this pervert who Instead didn't of her. even exist. And the thing is, good goofu, <laughs> whatever her fucking name was, actually did exist and she did positive things. Right. And now the lasting legacy, like we don't even know her name. And like now the lasting legacy is peeping, fucking peeping Tom. Tom. Okay. Okay. So, but aside from Tom, the last thing historians point, point to as an inaccuracy is just the way that taxes are described in the story, which is not historically accurate, um, especially in Coventry. Because remember, Godiva owned Coventry. So even though her husband was the earl, she would not have had to seek his permission to lower the taxes. That was 100% under her control. Again, I feel like this is a like patriarchal, like Christian, like ideals trying to fuck up her story and being like, well, a woman couldn't have that much power. So we have to give her like a reason. Right. It was told later on. Exactly. So but also, frankly, Coventry was just too small (gasps) and the people were too poor to be taxed at all. The only thing they could could have possibly been taxed on, which was ironically their horses. <laughs> yeah. Which also, can I throw in here, which I might cut yes. later because it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I find it very intriguing that the New Testament of the Bible, had, if we're talking about Christians like rearranging stories, which they have in both of our things, uh-huh. in the New Testament, women see Jesus's tomb empty first. Yes. And people tell them they're wrong, but then they're right. Which is so weird for feminism for it to be like, no, you, you, Martha, Mary, whoever was going to visit, like, you're wrong. You didn't see that. And then the boys are like, oh, shit, they were right. I love that. That's the one moment in the Bible that I'm like, yes, please bring it. Yeah. Well, because there are these stories of like, hey, like, believe women. And we just tend to ignore them. Right. And again, I'm down for Jesus. Yeah. Christianity? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I, I am down for Jesus. He was a cool dude. That's the thing. I feel like, I feel very strongly that like some people can be like very good Christians and actually do it right. And I also think that like there are, I mean, the Bible is an incredible historical text yeah. that like Absolutely. we cannot ignore. And that's a really cool moment of feminism in the bible when they're like this happened because we went there first yeah. to worship this man and you guys didn't fucking come yeah and we saw the thing and then you didn't believe us and now you're doubting thomas but i'm a fucking queen <laughs> that's what i picture them saying i'm a fucking queen <laughs> exactly <laughs> These, and uh, again they were they were amazing jewish women they were not christian women. yes they were they were Absolutely. amazing jewish women who had met this man anyway I do feel like so bad that like I feel like a lot of like strong Jewish women are repainted as like Christian women. Yeah. You know, she was they were strong Hebrew women. Anyway. Yes. The point was their stories were not repainted. And I just felt that so strongly when you were saying this about Godiva that it's like she was this like fairly strong Christian women and her stories being repainted as not feminine. Yeah. And it sucks. Yeah, it does. So. If this whole story is not true, why add it to the historical record at all? I mean, it could have been. To sell chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It could have been political. 
So the monks at the Abbey were like maybe trying to tell positive stories about the people who founded the church, which was Lady Godiva and Leah Frick. So yeah, why not? Maybe they were like, we need to add like a really good story to make people think that like the people who founded the church cared about them, the people who are coming to the church and tithing to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, others say that the term stripping was just totally misinterpreted and that could have just meant that Godiva took off all of her jewelry, which goes along with the true fact that she did give her gold and jewelry to the church to make into artifacts and maybe so more she, like she's stripping herself of her nobility, her nobility than exactly. of her clothes. Okay. So then the story becomes a woman stripped herself of her nobility and then rode in the streets dressed as a peasant, which is really just as impactful and would have made just as much of a statement to the people of the town. So that's also totally likely. But now on to my favorite theory. The hair. <laughs> I want to know about her hair. Tell me. We're not getting to that yet. Oh. <laughs> I'm on the edge of my so, seat, Katie. This is my favorite theory of why this story has stuck around. So you know how last week we talked about how like the Celts and other civilizations were like removed and altered by people coming in. Well, when that happened to the people of like areas like Great Britain and Germany and Scandinavia, they developed a practice of altering their pagan holidays and rituals to better suit the christian calendar so they wouldn't have to lose them completely of course and it kind of reminds me of how in areas where they practice voodoo and then catholics came in and they're like you can't practice voodoo anymore and they're like here's a statue of mary and they're like well i'll just use this in my voodoo practice like it's not really going to change what i'm doing i'll just alter it because i'm fluid So, I mean, a great example of this is Christmas. It was traditionally a celebration of the winter solstice. Yuletide. Mm -hmm. There was gift giving, candle lighting, singing, and even trees to celebrate the Yuletide, which would eventually become Christmas. But what does this have to do with Godiva? Well, in ancient Britain stories, (laughs) Britain probably should have been British, in ancient British stories, of women riding naked on horses it was actually a representation of a pagan fertility goddess and ancient fertility rites the ritual most likely evolved into more of a symbolic procession over the years which if that's true the naked horse ride is even older and more symbolic than we even thought so regularly happened yeah And even Peeping Tom fits into this because in some of these fertility rites, there was a male sacrifice that ensured the fertility of the community's crops and animals. Which I was trying really hard to find more about because I think that shit is like fucking dope of like these ancient pagan rituals. We need to like call a college. We need need a professor. (laughs) My cousin Dan is literally like a freaking some kind yeah, of he's higher a middle eastern history <sighs> i always forget um he's like israel syria <laughs> we could i mean i'm sure I mean, he would figure it out if my wedding was ever actually happening he could come up to baltimore and hang out with us and really tell us the true story we of, can like, have what him and megan on. on the podcast megan's his wife they're both so smart she like learned 
French to go teach at another university with him to teach English in another country. They're crazy. And I like can't even believe I'm related to them. And now they have two kids. We I don't know. deserve to be <laughs> related don't. to them. Oh Who are we? God. I'm not even blood related. I'm just married. <laughs> You're really riding on our coattails, Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> I did change my last name. Oh, like true. a psycho. <laughs> so do we know anything for real? Yes. Ooh, this is what I want. This is the hair. Okay. I'm so excited. So, I cannot get my hair down to my nipples if I try. Unbelievable. So during an archaeological dig in the Coventry Cathedral, they found shards of stained glass in the West Hall. Now, according to historians, the West Hall was specifically where portraits and memorabilia of cathedral benefactors were held and the beast from beauty and, and the, beast. the beast and his rose <laughs> in a glass dome go ahead if it's not baroque don't fix it <laughs> <laughs> but if it's chopin fix it <laughs> i can't why it's okay i love chopin <laughs> chopin i don't even that's, know if that's it's very <laughs> kate nashley right on the piano it's chopin what very kate nashley <laughs> she's when they switched his twin, she was like, I'm going to play some chopping. <laughs> what? what movie was that in? I, it was good. I don't know. Ooh, I got to research that. We'll find it. It's I've good. Go- she I've makes a Chopin joke. I've been Googling a lot about the Olsen twins for no reason recently. Um, so I'll have to check that out. So, <laughs> so when they found the shards and they put them together, it recreated a photo of a woman with incredibly long <gasps> golden hair. I'm dying. Longer than any other portrait. And they're looking at her and they're going, okay, she has this super fucking long hair, but there's no halo. Is there's she naked? no headdress. She wasn't naked. <laughs> but there's nothing that signifies that she's a saint. Okay. Or an angel of any kind. And she was, again, in the West Wing. So people are like, fuck. There's literally only one person that this could be, and it's Lady Godiva, which I'm just obsessed with. So we have a stained glass portrait of Lady Godiva, which is so cool. I tried really hard to find a picture of it, but I couldn't. So if anybody knows where a picture of the stained glass pieces are, I would love to see it. And then if you want to make a stained glass portrait of Katie and I, (sighs) we'll take it. Please. I don't even care if it's just like, you know, freaking tape. And watercolor, water paint. That I would ju- be fine, I just too. want the light to shine through me. VBS style. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the other thing that is very true of Lady Godiva is that the people of Coventry fucking love her. The infamous recreation of her procession first began in 1678 with women riding through Coventry, not nude, but nearly nude. in a flesh colored suit (laughs) so this is like the opposite of a never nude a nearly nude (laughs) (laughs) what a great connection (laughs) so um over the years the event has grown in size and elaborateness and raucousness but even though the people loved it and it was seen as a huge part of their culture the church did not (laughs) 
<laughs> so they would hold it every few years. And there were, of course, some modern day peeping Toms who were being real dicks at the event. But it was really the procession of 1842 that caused them to throw in the towel when poor Lady Godiva was too drunk to stay on her horse. Oh, no. I mean, my queen, she is welcome on this podcast anytime. <laughs> I will have you. <laughs> and it just kind of started going downhill. And then by 1900, the procession was held every couple of years. You know, they're like, well, let's not make it an annual thing. And they kept a real tight lid on shit until 1998, when the now modern town of Coventry decided to resurrect the tradition and turn it into a full-blown festival filled with parades, music, and, of course, a spectacular nude horse ride. Or nearly nude horse ride. (laughs) Nearly 150,000 people swarm the town of Coventry each year for the three-day-long festival, celebrating the life and tale of the Lady of the People, Lady Godiva. I'm obsessed. And fittingly... The event is completely paid for by taxes. <laughs> yeah, I need to go. I we have to go. To go. Americans have... aren't allowed in Europe right now. Not right now, but we will go. <laughs> we will go to this fucking festival. So you can see statues and paintings of her uh, and her famous ride all over England and elsewhere. And you can also see her portrayed in a few films one being a silent film and the other one in 1955 starring Maureen O'Hara as Godiva. Then there was a 2008 modern kind of retelling of the story about a kooky art teacher who has to decide between portraying Lady Godiva in the festival naked riding a horse and her true love. But in the end, I think that there is a lot we can learn from her story, whether it be true or false it has inspired women to use their own bodies as a form of protest for years. Between 2014 and 2018, economist and feminist Victoria Bateman used her naked body to protest Brexit. In one public appearance, she wrote messages all over her body, um, including Brexit leaves Britain naked, while giving a speech about the economic repercussions that the lower classes could face if they were to leave the European Union which we know that they eventually did. She said about her protest, some people might say, I am not any better than a page three girl, which I'm guessing is like like a cheap girl or something like that. Well, I feel like uh, she's not a cover girl. No, at page three. Yeah, exactly. And But the message behind it is, I am not just a body. I wanted the people to see that behind the naked body is a real, intelligent, thinking being And actually behind every naked body is an intelligent thinking being. And I'm also reminded of the mothers in Kenya who exposed their breasts to the police who were beating protesters during a peaceful protest in Nairobi. And if you want to hear more about that particular story, go back and listen to our Wangari Mathai episode. We talk about her. We talk about Jane Goodall. It's a fantastic episode. We've been promoing ourselves a lot. We have. You know, you just got to slip it in. It's been 86 (laughs) episodes now. Go listen to all of them. So go listen to all of them. Um, And I just that in itself is a really great example of like women using their bodies to fucking stop brutality. 
And I just think that nudity and protest is very powerful because it exposes a deep vulnerability that we all have. And it makes people in charge very uncomfortable, as it should, because they are faced with the real bodies that they are affecting. And it brings up the idea that protesters don't even have a clothes, so they have nothing else to lose. Mm. So thank you, Lady Godiva, legend or not, for caring about your people enough to make a statement with your own body, which would endure for centuries to come. And that's the story of Lady Godiva. That is so fun. I feel like I'm always shouting when I finish. Like I've done something like run a marathon. You did. Um. (laughs) You spoke a marathon. You're a hero. I'm a hero. You're a hero. We're all heroes. We're all heroes. Are we? <laughs> None of us. So None of us. Um, <laughs> now we need to talk about these two heroes in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. I mean, wow. Such ancient stories that pack such a fucking punch. We don't know what they look like. We don't know if it happened. I. But this is the whole thing. I kind of think that when women become more legend than reality it's because there was probably a ton of women who faced the same kind of shit and women's stories weren't being told enough that they were made into a story let's make one woman the story exactly because there's so many women that are doing this that we may as well make it something yeah yeah exactly so i just think that it's almost more important that we tell the stories of women who are legends because they were legends for a very specific reason, because those people's voices were not being heard. It's why I liked the Mulan story. Like, yeah. yes, I know it's just a poem, but like there there were women that did that. Exactly. And yeah. just like we talked about with Boudicca last time, like if that grave wasn't her, it doesn't fucking matter because you know what it means? There was it a woman that, that was there her. There was a woman who was at least as high military ranking as her and that they existed. Right. So... The thing that I gleaned from both of these stories is that women who protested injustice existed. Women who fucking were teachers and had followers that loved them existed. They were here. They were here. And I love that her name meant good gift because I feel like knowledge is the gift. It's the ultimate gift. Like that if somebody is giving you something and like she was such a good teacher that literally the only thing we have recorded about Hypatia is that she was good at telling people things. Yeah. All she did was have people listen to her. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I think it's so interesting that I feel like her story was so much of like, people are listening to me, but now all people know is false narratives of her and really false narratives of Lady Godiva. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes when you become the poster child of something, you become known for something totally different than what you were. And both of their stories are so surrounded by male counterparts that actually meant something. Yeah. And that names mean something like we have peeping Tom. That's very Mm -hmm. important. And we have canonized St. Cyril, Mm -hmm. who is very important to many Catholic people. And it's very hard to say like, Let's forget about that narrative and look at this other narrative. Yep. But the the other narrative is the one that created the male narrative. It's yeah. like that wouldn't exist if this didn't exist. Yep. No, it's totally true. And I wrote that they were both like 
women of their times, which to me in these stories meant that we had to explain so much of what was going around with the men surrounding them in order to tell their stories because there are no other prominent stories of women around that time because we lose them. And then again, they turn into legend because we've totally lost the reality of their stories. And it's crazy because Godiva's husband wasn't the landholder. Uh, Hypatia's dad wasn't the landholder. When they died, it was just, you're in charge now. And nobody was like, oh, you can't be in charge. They were in charge. And now we have this whole story revolving around them that everybody's uncomfortable with because it wasn't natural. Yeah, exactly. Because the story we, I, I wrote down lost legacy because we don't talk about Hypatia as the great teacher that we should all learn from and the great enforcer of good pedagogy pedagogy yeah pedagogy pedagogy. (laughs) you know and then we don't talk about the real lady godiva being a benefactor and being like i'm gonna put everything i can back into the community because when you're talking about being a benefactor to the church she built that church and she made those religious relics because that's what those serfs who had nearly nothing except their friggin' horses, like, that's all they had. So she's putting everything back into the community, but all we know is that she was naked once. Right. And, I mean, it's unfortunate because overall, both men and women try to make their stories better. Yeah. And it's why. Their stories are good enough as it is. Both of these stories were embellished Mm -hmm. to create this, like, really you know fantastic narrative and it's like we didn't need to do that and i get that maybe they did then maybe there was a time pre-internet pre-whatever where you had to really fantastic size a story to make it better but these women did incredible things just on their own yeah no absolutely and i feel like again that was something similar in both of them where they just had men who wanted to make their story more about themselves Mm. like i was thinking about her followers and peeping tom and how the story then becomes about like her followers doing crazy things and then the story becomes about peeping tom being a pervert and those things are what we kind of remember and those are the lasting legacies versus what these women actually did which is now lost because their stories become overladen with tales of the misdeeds of the men surrounding them and i i feel like it's it's super unfortunate because the 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 naked body in Mm -hmm. both of these stories is very distracting like with Godiva, it was very sexual. It was very like this man's eyes were poked out because he was looking at her. Right. But like with Hypatia, it was like she was a virgin and we didn't like what she was doing to the, you know, philosophy around Alexandria. So we're going to strip her naked and just like skin her. We're going to fillet her pretty much. Yeah. And it it's very like every... Every painting of Hypatia from the Victorian era, which are not true, paint her as a very young, they paint her as like a 20-year-old beauty, just naked in the streets, being like drug around. And it's like she was probably in her 50s or 60s when she was murdered. Like, they try to very sexualize just the idea that she was murdered. And it's like, that's also a really stupid thing to do because she just was cool. Yeah. Well, and I think about that with Godiva, too. 
she potentially had nine children. And like she's always painted as like a 19 year old. I had two and I have laxity on yeah. my stomach. <laughs> Let's talk about laxity for a second. And I'm thinking too about the fact that like some people even say that Leah Frick was her second husband. So like she was again not a 19 year old. Hypatia was not a 19 year old. I don't know why I'm focusing on that age. Maybe I'm thinking about my impending 30 year oldness. Oh, um, that's the best but- age. <laughs> You're saying they weren't 30, they were 50. It, yeah, like they weren't. Not that 50's bad. No. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. But I feel like, again, artists have painted people from history into a box of like young forever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, these women weren't like pristine hourglasses and naked. No. They were just naked. Yeah. In because, all their rawness. Yeah. Because when you think about it, injustices in the world cause them both to be naked for different reasons, Mm. which isn't that what we are. We keep getting back to in both of these stories is that naked for Godiva meant like she was either going to strip off her jewels or her entire clothing to prove a point and protect her people. And for Hypatia, she was literally her clothes were taken off for her and her skin was stripped away. We have these two very different meanings of stripping and both because there were injustices. So in Hypatia's story, there were just too many to even count and she was caught up in it. And I think it leaves all of us thinking about vulnerability, about our bodies, about just the idea that there's something greater than our bodies and sometimes those bodies are sacrificed for that greater good. And not even good, just greater, sometimes the greater evil. For the greater society that you live in. Yeah, because our bodies, no matter how we cut it, are temporary. Yeah. And, yeah. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether it's over when you're dead, whether you yeah. reincarnate or whether you go on to an afterlife. Yeah. Your body's temporary and it's done. Exactly. Woo. Heavy. Heavy <laughs> stuff. Um, okay. So are you ready to toast? Yeah, let's toast. Let's toast. Let's toast. <laughs> it's time. It's time. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was like a good theological button to put on yeah, it. Yeah, we did a great thing. Um <laughs> Allie, who would you like to toast? So I'm taking kind of a different turn with this. I I want to toast tonight that women who feel like they aren't doing enough. Mm. Uh, existing is enough. Yeah. Uh, being a woman and showing up is enough. You don't have to create things. You don't have to develop new theories. You don't have to become famous for anything other than just being. Yeah. We try to write a lot onto women from the past because we have so few of them to cling to. Yes. But now there's more of us. So just be. Just be. Just be. I love it. Cheers, Cheers to being. <laughs> All right. What do you got for Godiva? I am going to toast legendary women, whether their stories are true or false. I just think it's important that stories of women are being told in any capacity. So cheers Cheers. to legendary women, which I think both of ours were. 
I think our toasts are the exact opposite, and that's why we're perfect. Exactly. <laughs> let's, let's talk more about how good we are. <laughs> are you ready to promo? I'm so ready. What are you enjoying this week? I can, okay. I was born in a really sweet, <laughs> sweet millennial spot in between Sweet Valley High and Babysitter's Club. Oh, my gosh. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Allie, are you going to promo Babysitter's Club on uh-huh. Netflix? I am not kidding you. The ad came up on my Instagram today, Key. and I was like, I bet Allie's fucking watched all of this, and listen, I bet she loves it. Listen, <laughs> so when... <laughs> Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> when I, I saw that you were gonna promo this tonight, when the trailer came up, my best friend Claire, who I'm obsessed <laughs> with, immediately texted me and was like, "Did you see this shit?" Because she is a master librarian, like has her <sighs> master's in library science, and read everything growing up. And I was a struggling reader, but like that was something I clung to. Like pre Harry Potter was like I can really read the Babysitters Club yeah. because I got it. And she texted me immediately and I was like, oh, hell yeah. So then I watched a couple episodes with my kids Mm. and we are all fucking in. Because if you were a Babysitter's fan, were you when you were a kid? Babysitter's Club fan at all? Not at all. So (laughs) I don't know anything about it. Okay. Basic story is there's this crew of like middle school, almost high school girls who create this club because they see a need and they together have people call them. It's very entrepreneur. Like they have people call them and then they parse out babysitting for their whole neighborhood. But the story is about each of the girls. So you have a girl with diabetes and she's embarrassed about it. And you have a girl who's like talking. I I mean, my kids were sitting there listening and there was a whole episode about Japanese internment camps and there was an episode about a girl who was like I'm babysitting this kid and this mom lets him paint his nails and I'm like trying to figure out what these gender dynamics are it is a fascinating show and it was great when they the books first came out but I am telling you even if you don't have kids put it on in the background while you're like working during the day because every once in a while you'll be like what the fuck are they telling kids that's great. And then you'll keep working because I've always loved Babysitter's Club. And then now my kids are into it. And I'm like, I have to buy you all the books. But Dude, it, it's great. Katie, I, it's fascinating because I always loved it. I also so feel like that's the such a great way to bring you into people's stories is like, how do you raise your kids? Because, I mean, I don't have kids. But from what I understand about raising kids, it's like, when you get them, you're like, what the fuck am I doing? And yeah. everybody has such different tactics, different approaches. And you learn so much about how different people are from the way that they do this one thing. And like there are a lot of different variants, some good, some bad. But like you can really get a snapshot into like, you know, hey, that family has Japanese ancestry. So they, they have to talk about this. Not have to. But like. They're choosing to because it's part of their story. Right. And like, I just think that uh, that's so cool. It I, is. I cool. actually, I really want to, I did, I saw the thing and I was like, I bet Allie's going to recommend this and I really want to watch it. And it's, I mean, it's super cute too because there is middle school drama. The yeah. girls do fight and they are attracted to boys. And it is, it's exactly, exactly the same reason parents wanted us reading it. Like people my age is the same reason we want our, our kids watching it. Like, yeah. It's so important to see these little entrepreneur girls be like, we're going to start this like a business and it's going to be hard. I love it. So 
Babysitter's Club. Put it on in the background. <laughs> Even if you don't have kids, just let it play and like okay. listen to it while you're like cooking dinner. Perfect. Netflix. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend something really fucking dumb. Ah, great. I'm going to recommend everybody make their own goddamn Alfredo sauce. Shit. Okay. I'm going to say something. Tell me how. I'm Store-bought Alfredo sauce is trash. It is and trash. it always is and it always will be. And making your own is so fucking easy. I can't even tell you. Oh, my God. Give me a one, two, three. And I'm so glad I was. we both had heavy cream in our cocktails <laughs> because... I used your spare heavy cream, and now I'm going to use my heavy cream that I bought from the store when I bought your onions, which nobody knows what I'm talking about now. <laughs> um, I'm going to use that I when I go home. I'm going to make some goddamn pasta Alfredo because all you need is it's heavy love. cream, love, <laughs> butter, garlic, and Parmesan cheese. Also, everybody, I'm going to give you a hot tip. Go to if Trader you're a Joe's. vegan, don't eat this. If you're a vegan, don't even come near this. <laughs> um, if you have a Trader Joe's near you, and if they're letting you in, because I've not been allowed into a Trader Joe's for weeks now. Good for them. Because they're, I mean, they're really trying to protect their customers and their employees and like good fucking on them. Hell yeah. Um, but they have giant blocks of Parmesan cheese for like $3. And that shit can last you. And then you can put the Parmesan right in another soup. But that's a story for another day. But I'm telling you, homemade Alfredo sauce is so fucking good. And it's really easy. And never buy the store-bought stuff because it's terrible. And cream should never be sitting at a room temperature on a shelf for months on end. Don't trust it. <laughs> that's what I want to promo. Find a good right. base Alfredo sauce. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. You should try it. It's so fucking good. I'm sure it's, it's easy, so, too. It's so easy easy it's one and of then, those things where the first time you do it you're so uncomfortable yes. and then you're like oh hell yeah yep uh whoo i also might next week promo my easy every night ramen because well don't promo it now okay, then i won't promo it now i won't promo it now but <laughs> i'm gonna tell you all if you have coconut milk and red curry paste you're set you're set for life well shit i'll promo it next week though keep in time that's not even a phrase for Katie's cooking tips. <laughs> Is that the new promo thing? That's my new Katie's cooking gonna, tips. Because <laughs> I'm not a good cook, but I'm good at what I do. You're a great cook. Shut up. Um, <laughs> so Katie's cooking tips. Tune in next week. But we're under two hours, which is really exciting. So we need to wrap it up. Let's do it. Um, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let me know if you make your own Alfredo sauce in our comments because I'm going to be fucking stoked if you do follow us everywhere everywhere positive comments negative comments come to Allie did you like our cocktail come did to you Katie. not <laughs> come to Allie <laughs> everything you need to know is here listen we're obsessed with you guys you're so very awesome you keep talking to us on social media we try to answer every single one of you sometimes we suck but all of season seven is gonna be all requests it's gonna be great and yes. I didn't realize how close we were to the end of this season because our life has been crazy uh -huh. um, until I looked at this week and I was like, fuck, we got like three weeks left. Yeah, and then after it's that, crazy. we're just going to like go bogus. Bang, out, request. It's going to be awesome. So if you have any extra requests that you want to send, send them in now because we're planning the next season. And that's it. Great review us on Apple Podcast. Follow us on all the things. We love you so very much. But not as much if you don't rate and review us. Absolutely. 
And never, ever forget that well-behaved women have monogrammed towels. <laughs> <laughs> and they rarely make history. Bye-bye. Goodbye. I waved. Why did I wave? Why did you wave? <laughs> There's no waving. <laughs> listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye